Father, as we study the Bible tonight, please help us to see how we might work out our love for you and how, as we do that, you are at work in us to make us new people like Jesus. Help us to love what we hear tonight and to bring glory to his name. Amen. We're Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice, sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed, because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honour such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. I should have pressed the button, shouldn't I? That was a bit that I missed. Right, let's uh, pause there. I think our children are going to go to there. And uh, we'll then pick up and look at Two, Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 don't lose the page we'll come back to it in a minute
Right, all the kids and the Iranians have escaped, so let's uh, ask go straight into uh, looking at that little bit of the Bible and uh, to ask ourselves, if you're running a marathon, what will keep you going to the end? And you might say that actually a fair amount of training would be good, a huge amount of mental strength is necessary, and you might like to get some good shoes while you're at it. And these things might just get you there, that you can run all those miles and uh, reach the end. Now, that may be how you do a marathon. That is not the way you do the Christian life. Although it sounds a little bit from this part of the Bible that it is. It sounds like the Bible is telling us, you've got to work hard to get to heaven. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That surely must mean that you've got to get on the ladder and climb up to heaven and uh, uh, get there yourself. Now I want to actually tell you that when you look at this Bible passage closely you'll see it's actually the other way around. That God is the one who's going to be doing the work but he does give us two helpers as uh, his gifts to us. And we'll look at each one of those two things. First, we'll look at uh, how to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. How that is actually God helping us. And then secondly, we'll look at leaders that we can receive and honour. So the first thing to look at is to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling in verse 12. And that does sound like it's all up to us. Hey, look, you've got to be very careful how you live as a Christian or it'll all go up in smoke and you lose your salvation. That seems to be what uh, uh, you might think. But look, tell you at the start that salvation is not gained by working out salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, you don't become a Christian by suddenly relating rightly to God with fear and trembling the way we should. That's not how the Christian life starts. In fact, what Paul has told us already, let's not forget, in chapter 1 verse 6 he says these guys are Christians because God has begun a work in them in verse 6 and therefore he is going to complete it at the day of Christ the good work God starts he will complete he is the one who is doing the work so he's writing to people who are already Christians. But now in chapter 2 verse 12, he's not contradicting that. He's saying that as God has started this work, now you express your love for God in this way. This relationship is now the most important thing. And that is what we live out in our day-to-day -day lives. 
Now, it's worth actually heeding that encouragement because very often we can think that our lives are about working out other roles that we might have. Maybe the role of a parent. And if you've got kids, you want to work out the role of being a wise parent. Or if you're someone who works in a secular job, say a teacher, you want to be working out your role as a teacher and to do that the best you can. Or it may be that actually at this moment in time, you've got no main role in your life. You're possibly retired or um, yeah, life's a bit more free and maybe just a bit aimless at the moment. But whatever situation you happen to be in, what God is saying is, live uh, your life working out your relationship with me. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not the roles that will give you your purpose. This is what will give you your purpose. But what we've got to do is to work out what do we mean by this fear and trembling bit? That's the bit that might just be worrying us a little bit. So can I say, we are not talking about fear and trembling regarding punishment or consequences. The first thing to say is, when we work out our fear and trembling, that has got to do with God's character, not consequences. So, the context is uh, how these people have done really well when Paul has not been around. That's what chapter 2 verse 12 tells you. When Paul was there in his presence, they did alright. But now he isn't around. But he wants them to work this out even more because God is the one who is still around even when Paul isn't. So, therefore, my beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence because God is still there. You're still in his presence. And the reason why we therefore work out the fear and trembling bit is we realize the awesome God in whose presence we are. This is a majestic, uh, uh, overwhelming God. And if we're going to live in his presence, well, that's the reason why we work out our salvation in fear and trembling, because of who he is, not because of what he might do to us. It's the nature of God, that, the character of God that helps us to work out with uh, uh, our salvation with fear and trembling. So that all of life, whether we're um, in the classroom teaching or in the home parenting or whatever it is we maybe are doing or not doing, we do it with this awareness of this huge, wonderful God in whose presence we are doing that thing in. And that is what it means to work out our salvation theory. It is not to do with consequence, it is to do with God's character. It is not to do with consequence, 
and fear of punishment. Because you can do fear and trembling out of love. So to give you a rough example, uh, I might obey the government and stick to 30 mile per hour speed limits because I fear the consequences um, if I don't. Um, and that's how I relate to the government. But it may be that if I'm driving with my wife, then if I'm aware that she perhaps is feeling slightly sick and nauseous and I've got to drive carefully and I don't want to take corners too fast and I want to stick to 30 mile per hour speed limits then out of a fear of causing her discomfort. That is motivated entirely by love. I don't want to create discomfort in the person who I love. So I, I drive with fear and trembling in, in that sense. So, yeah, uh, it doesn't do with, uh, with, uh, with consequences, it's to do with God's character, uh, it's to do with love. And then thirdly, it's to do with confidence. If you look at verse 13, Paul is talking about consequence more, uh, confidence more than consequence because he says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So as we work out our salvation of fear and trembling, God works in a desire to serve him and to work for his good pleasure. Because the reality is that whatever we may happen to be doing, it is very easy for us to want and to will the wrong things. And we end up grumbling and disputing in verse 14. But when we want to live our lives in the presence of this uh, 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 wonderful, gracious God, then we'll find ourselves, the more we're conscious of that, the more we hate grumbling and the more we really don't want disputing. Instead, if you remember last week, chapter 2, verse 3, what we would really want is to consider others more important than ourselves. And when you're grumbling at someone, you're putting them down. When you're disputing with someone, you're putting them down. But when you live in the presence of God and you're just conscious of that, and you carry that in your mind, well, you want to build them up. So you hate disputing, you hate grumbling. That's why before this great and awesome God, we will start serving others rather than thinking ourselves superior to them. And then in verses 15 and 16, the watching world, the non-Christians around us, see the difference in how we relate to others. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Because you're very conscious of the Father's presence. You live with it. And that is the happiest thing for any Christian leader. That's what Paul says makes him happy. That they are now working their salvation out in fear and trembling because they are now living, if you like, in front of God and no longer 
needing Paul to be there to keep them living that way. And when a Christian leader sees that people are no longer living their Christian lives to keep him happy, but because they are living in the presence of God and they are very conscious of that, and that is really all they need, then it means that the Christian leader can be absent and be unafraid. And so... Paul says, I'll be very happy. Even if I'm put to death in verse 17 and my life is poured out on your sacrifice. Which is actually what happened. He does get executed in the end. But he says, even so, I'm happy because actually I'm not needed anymore. I have not labored. I have not run in vain. You are standing on your own two feet living in the presence of God. And you can be happy with me too because even if I'm going to be put to death you will see that actually I won't bring shame on you because I'm living in the presence of God. And I want to live my life to his good pleasure not to the Romans. See, we are born men pleasers, aren't we? We always live according to who's watching us. When I'm playing uh, squash and uh, I'm losing badly um, and someone suddenly appears in the doorway deciding to watch our game for a, a bit before they get bored and moved on. But immediately I know someone's watching so I suddenly pretend that I'm fit and that I'm fast. And I start playing well. Because when someone's watching, that's, it makes a difference. But why do we want to be pleasing men in the end who are nothing when we can actually live in the presence of a great and wonderful God? And if you were to live with that thought in your mind and to really uh, be absorbed in that, your life will change. Your witness will massively increase. People will see a big difference in you because you work out your own salvation in fear and trembling with this great God in your mind. The second thing the poor does is... Uh, uh, to give us uh, great leaders, or what the God does. So as well as living in his presence, God also gives us leaders uh, who we uh, might, um, might uh, learn from and model ourselves on. And all of us learn from other people much more than we realize, don't we? So we pick up things unconsciously. Uh, a Hungarian child will speak with, speak Hungarian. Um, no conscious effort desire, we just do it. We hear it, we learn it, we do it. Even teenagers who don't want to copy anybody or learn, they, 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 they copy like crazy. In the desire to be rebellious, they copy the rebels. But it's just another way of being a sheep. And we all like that. I mean, I talk to our dog the way our, my wife talks to our dog. Which is like a two-year-old child, and so therefore I'm doing it too, and the rest of the world listening to us think we're both crazy. But I don't care about the craziness, because I see her modeling it, and I do it. It's just 
how we are. We keep learning. Now, when it comes to the Christian life, we will pick up from others. The trouble is we can so easily do it unconsciously and therefore pick badly. And that's why Paul says, well, don't do that. Pick carefully. Let me tell you about two leaders who are good. There's Timothy and there's Epaphroditus. And these two men have got one thing in common. They do not look after their own interests. They look after the interests of everybody else. That's the one thing that these leaders have that ought to be honoured and received. That makes them authentic. Paul, uh, 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 Timothy, in verse 20, you can see that. This is why he's so good. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And what about Epaphroditus? When he got sick, was he concerned that he was sick? No. He was bothered about these Christians thinking that God was substandard because he was sick. He was much more concerned about the effect on them than the sickness on him. Genuinely concerned for their interests. And we are to look out for and learn from people who are like that. Our little church belongs to a network of other churches called Co-Mission. Now, Co-Mission, uh, under the great blessing of God, is jam-packed, filled with leaders who are just like this, who are very concerned for the interests of others more than their own interests. And therefore, it's hardly surprising that when Rob and Hannah come from two Co-Mission churches to join us, they are just like this too not worried about their interests, constantly, if you watch them, concerned for the interests and the well-being uh, of others. Because they've been with leaders like that, and they've seen it, and it's, 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 it's changed them. And as you receive an honour such men, you will be changed like that as well. It does show us, doesn't it, that actually although we can read the Bible at home, we can never learn the Bible at home. Uh, you can read about all these things, you can read them, you can read about Timothy and Epaphroditus, uh, the words of the page, but it's only when you come into the local church and see someone modeling other person-centered life that we begin to really see and learn how it is to be done and then it rubs off on us. And we need leaders like this. There are so many that are concerned for their own interests. If you uh, come from an African background, I think actually uh, the pastors in Africa are no different than the pastors over here. Verse 20 is absolutely true, or rather verse 21 is absolutely true. You might just simply say, they all seek their own interests. That is true of so much of church leadership. All I can say is that isn't new. That's not Africa. That's not anywhere particular. That is how it's been in the New Testament. But God will always have his Timothys and his Epaphrodites. 
and zoom in on this quality and uh, you'll uh, be changed into people who are like them. Uh, that is the quality to look for in a church leader. I must say, um, I've been a plonker in lots of things, and I think I've been a plonker in this area too, because very often I've looked at church leaders, people I've admired, and because I'm a preacher, uh, I've looked at these preachers and copied their preaching style. Why? Because I want to be a better preacher, and if I maybe preach like them, then people will think that I'm a good preacher. Ultimately, that is serving my own interests. I'm wanting people to look up to me. Now, I've got to say that the good preachers I've admired have also been brilliant at caring for others. All I'm saying is it's so easy to copy the wrong thing and for the wrong reason. But when you look at Timothy, when you look at Epaphroditus, we don't hear anything about their preaching styles. It's enough to know how they lived. That they lived concerned for the interests of other people. Now, those are the people we are to receive and honour. Because they've changed us to be like them. Now, what does that uh, uh, mean for us? If you're someone who's uh, new to Christian things, it is true, isn't it, that lots of people who don't go to church have been put off by those who essentially are not seeking the interests of others who are just basically seeking their own interests all the time. And worse still, they've read the newspapers, they've read the stories of church scandals and they've seen that leaders are often not serving others but seeking their own interests instead, often in fairly uh, unattractive ways. And so it can come across a really good excuse, can't it? Well, don't expect me to become a Christian if that's what goes on, all this selfishness around that I see. But I want to suggest that actually it's been around for a while. If you look at verse 21, it was there in Paul's time that people were um, uh, seeing, uh, seeking their uh, own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. God's people, so-called, have been doing that for quite some time. It hasn't stopped the New Testament growing and advancing. Why? Because in addition to these people being around, there are also, if I could put it like this, Jesus reflectors who are around. People who shine like lights in the world. Uh, don't uh, overlook them. And they reflect a God who himself gave himself up for your interest to rescue from hell to heaven. So please receive what they say and even be changed to be like them if you're not a Christian. If you're connected to church and have been to lots of church in the past, can I suggest there's this danger that in a sense that whole 
self-serving approach can be uh, um, under the banner of Sunday Christianity uh, where it so easily goes on. And if you come just to Christian services, think about it, you won't see people in their daily lives uh, concerned for the welfare of others. All you do is see someone talking. And what happens when you walk out on the street after that is you think actually Christianity is just a matter of believing the right things. Believing what you've heard. It isn't a matter of living in a way that uh, serves other people. And so I have to plead again and again and again, if you've come from a different church into ours, please, will you put every effort into unlearning churchiality stuff that you might have picked up so that you might uh, uh, understand Bible Christianity and its genuine interest in other people and be transformed into someone like that rather than just be a Sunday Christian. It's not too late to start if you're here. But what if you're humbled by tonight and you realise that I do actually to be perfectly honest that I spend so little time being consciously aware that I'm living in God's presence and doing different things uh, in front of a great and awesome God I want to suggest if that is what you've uh, uh, seen in yourself that today would be a great day with me to repent and to live this week very conscious aware of his wonderful character in whose presence we live and to ask him to change us so that we might be working out our salvation in his presence in fear and trembling and as we do that that he would work in us the desires and the ability to work for his good pleasure and while you're doing that I'll be very grateful if you could uh, pray for uh, leaders in our church I guess mainly me and uh, ask that God will change us as a Christian family into being genuinely concerned to seek out for the interests of others so many in verse 21 seek their own interests it's so easy for us to be like that as a church please pray that God will give us great examples leadership and in the end a congregation that is very different that is genuinely concerned for the welfare of each other let's pray that God will help us with that I think our practice is normally to to give ourselves a minute where we can uh, pray uh, in that way uh, let me close with prayer first a minute but we've had our minute let me pray our Father in heaven you are a great and glorious God and it is really so sad that we live to please people who are far less than you have none of your greatness 
So please help us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling before you, in your presence, in all the different activities and roles that we have this week. And please make us shining lights as we do. And keep setting in front of us, in each other and in our leaders, examples of people who only want to serve the interests of others so that we may celebrate them and uh, uh, honour them and receive them and learn from them. We pray for your help in this, for the glory of your name. Amen.